one of us are standing at a crossroads, even right now, every single moment of our lives, am I going to praise God or am I going to let myself get hard and bitter? For some of us here, you've been having a, it's been going great, but something's going to go on tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and you're going to be there. Am I, I going to praise God or am I going to get mad and bitter? As we continue in the book of Ephesians, we learn it's astoundingly honest with both the challenges of life and the reality of the finished work of God through Jesus. As we make application, we have to understand that grace must always precede peace. You can't have one without the other, but you especially can't have one before the other. Peace is something that miraculously takes place once you've accepted the gift of grace. God promises peace like a river. There's not too many peaceful rivers out there. Listen in. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 with our continuing study entitled The God of the Mess. Grace. You could take the word G-R-A-C-E for those of you who like these type of things. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God wants to bestow a gift to each one of us, and he has in Jesus. So grace is one of the remedies for the mess. Now also, not only grace, but notice grace and peace. The word peace, in the Greek, it's linked up to a Hebrew word that is pretty common even today. The word is shalom. I remember a a young kid went to uh, Texas, and he came back with a shirt that said, shalom, y'all. I thought those, that's a great shirt. We need, to, we need to rock those, you know. Shalom, y'all. But shalom, it, it's a greeting in Hebrew, but it literally means to join. That's what it means. It means peace. Now, how does peace mean to join? The, the implication is that when something is separated or something is disjointed and harmony has been broken, shalom is the bringing them back together into harmony. When something has been torn or broken, shalom is putting it back together again better than it was created. So that idea of peace means to join together. We think of peace as these two people were fighting and now they're at peace with one another. They were at odds and now they're joined back together again relationally. Now you have to realize that true peace can only come from receiving true grace. The problem with the, and I don't have anything against John Lennon, God rest his soul, but the problem with just give peace a chance is that peace is impossible if it's not preceded by grace. Because the only way, the only way to bring two people together is if somebody receives a gift in order to bestow the ability to forgive the wrongs. And that's why the Apostle Paul always puts it in the order of grace and then peace. Grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. The G always becomes before the P, doesn't it? Even in the alphabet. Once grace is given and received, then peace is possible. 
How many times have you tried, you tried to bring back together something that's been broken without having first received that gift of grace only for that peace to be very short-lived? We all know what it's like. We've experienced it. We've tried. But when God's grace in Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, then you can go to somebody who's wronged you and you can truly forgive them because God has already forgiven you. And you respond to God's grace by offering a peaceful hand. So the remedy for this mess is this grace and peace. And notice it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beginning in verse 3, verses 3 to 14, which we're going to study now, this is one long run-on sentence in the Greek. Like literally, if you were to look at this in the Greek manuscript, there's absolutely no periods. It's a long run-on sentence. And so for those of you who got in trouble in school for writing run-on sentences, if you would have known, you could say, hey, I'm just following the scriptures. <laughs> for those of you who are English teachers, a little grace, okay, for your students. Be like, I know you learned it from the Holy Spirit, but come on now. I want to read this to you, and then we're going to break it apart. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory or of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which both are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? I'll be honest, as a teacher, I'd want to do three or eight messages just on this section. There's a lot in there. But I think to take it as a unit because it's one long run-on sentence is important. Now, if you notice in this section, you get three or four verses about God the Father. You get three or four verses about God the Son, and then you get two verses about God the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you struggle with understanding the biblical doctrine of what we call the Trinity? I'm with you guys. I've been reading books about this for 15 years. I know it's true, but how it all works, the way it works, it's very challenging. There's all sorts of break-offs from Christianity 
with all these things. Like, how does this work? And I think it's interesting that in a messy life, our understanding of God is also messy. Because God is infinite and we are finite. God has revealed a lot to us through his word, but how it all works, it's pretty mysterious for us. But notice what, how this begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, although messy, God is to be praised. Although messy, God is to be praised. That word blessed be, it means praise be to God. Let our mouths and hearts praise this God. But I'm here to tell you, the biblical doctrine of who God is is not neat and tidy. We want it to be. We want it to be, okay, this fits here. And you have all sorts of people who go get ulcers to try and make you realize that it's all super neat. And I'm here to tell you, even our understanding of who God is is messy. The Apostle Paul says we know in part and we prophesy in part. We see through a glass what? Dimly. Now, because it's messy doesn't mean we don't know anything. But it's not as neat as we'd want it to be. And I believe that the doctrine of one God in three persons, it's the best biblical way to explain who God is, but it's also quite messy. But although God is messy, although God works in ways we don't necessarily understand, God is still to be praised. This word, blessed, in verse 3, it's actually the word that we get our word eulogy from. It means to speak well of. Now, in the midst of a messy life, who's normally the guy who gets the short end of the stick in a messy life? God, right? Things go wrong and we blame God, right? Although messy, God is to be praised. I'm not saying that we have to say, Lord, I thank you that something horrible has happened. But we shouldn't also be bitter in a messy world that God is transforming. I always tell people in the midst of tragedy, I say, look, this is up to you. You're either going to get bitter or better through this. And that sounds like a nice little plaque, but it's true, isn't it? How many of us sitting here today, sitting in the chapel, one of our other venues, watching online, the messy stuff in your life, you're just straight up bitter right now. You're just mad. You're angry. Because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go, you said, man, forget God. And by saying forget God, you're saying forget me, forget my life, forget who I am, forget me being a healthy person. And if that's you here today, listen, there's no judgment. Because we all battle in the midst of the mess to find that place where we can say, I don't understand this, I don't like it, but Lord, I don't want to be bitter either. And if that's you, if you're here today and you've been far from God, I believe the reason you're here today is because God loves you enough to want to draw you back. God loves you enough to say, look, yes, I know you're bitter and you know you're bitter, but my love is still real and I want to do a work in your life. And I know you've been angry at me, but let me do a work in you. For those of you who are going to give your lives to Jesus here today, it's not like all of a sudden you give your life to Jesus and everything changes. No, everything actually stays the same except you change. And then as you change, then God starts to change everything around you. But the same things that hurt you still hurt. I remember when I lost my mother 
This was right before my senior year of college. I remember after it was all said and done, I went back to my apartment, and I climbed into bed, and I pulled the covers, and I said, I'm not getting out. This is where I'm going to hang out. And then after about two hours, I think, what the heck am I doing? I'm copping out. My mom would get mad at me if she saw me doing this. And I thank God for that. That one prompt that I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. But I'm sure there's a lot of us in here today who've been that person. Because something went wrong, you just pushed everything out. And you're here today because you're saying, I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be bitter. It's no way to live the only life on earth you get. Is that really going to be the testimony of our lives? So although it's messy, God's to be praised. We should speak well of the Lord. I think of Psalm 103. That begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The psalmist, and we all love reading the psalms because it's so human, it's so real. Every human emotion is expressed in the psalms. And you find the psalmist, he's, he's encouraging himself. He's saying, bless God, praise God, speak well of God. Because the alternative is just to get crusty and bitter. And the psalmist is, is preaching to himself, saying, don't be angry, bless God. Don't be mad, praise God. And throughout our lives, each one of us are in that spot, aren't we? Each one of us are standing at a crossroads, even right now, every single moment of our lives. Am I going to praise God or am I going to let myself get hard and bitter? For some of us here, you've been having, it's been going great, but something's going to go on tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and you're going to be there. Am I going to praise God or am I going to get mad and bitter? Part of being created by God and in his image, God gives us the ability to choose. He doesn't force a decision. He says, it's your choice. And God honors that choice, not honors as puts a stamp of approval on it, but gives us the ability to choose which way we're going to go. So although messy, although the doctrine of the Trinity is complicated and shrouded in some mystery, God is to be praised. Speak well of him. Now, I want to take each person of the Trinity, the Trinity, the triune God. It breaks down actually quite beautifully here. We get verses 3 to 6 speaks of God the Father. Verses 7 to 12 speaks of God the Son. Verses 13 and 14 speaks of God the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to take each one just simply. I would love to do a real deep scuba dive into this with you, and maybe at a later date, we'll just take these verses, and we'll do like a three or four part series to really break out each little piece, because there's a lot in here. But notice, verses three to six, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he made us accepted 
in the beloved. Now, if I were to break these verses down to a simple, concise phrase, it's that the father adopts in eternity past. The father adopts in eternity past. Notice it begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of the triune God. Notice, he adopts us. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. He adopts us, and then I put in eternity past. And I get that from verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So whenever the world was made, before that, God chose to adopt people into his family. So the father adopts in eternity past. Now, I want to just take these things real quick. Look at verse 3, because verse 3 is all about blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see the three-peat of the word blessing in there? That God is to be praised. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So when you see a three-peat or redundancy, it's meant to focus us. This reminds us that God is a God of blessing. He wants to bless. His demeanor and disposition is to bless. No matter what the people on the news or people who are angry at God say, God is a God of blessing. He's to be praised, and he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. You know what every means? Every, that's right. God has flushed your spiritual bank account so thick. Every spiritual blessing is there. So this father who adopts an eternity past, not only has he blessed, but look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. This speaks of election. Election. That it was in the mind of God that he was going to place people in Christ, in him. That's what it means. He predestined us. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you find that people like to argue about predestination. And the reason they like to argue about it is because the Bible just says that God predestines us he never explains to us how he does it. And I'm here to tell you, don't argue about things that the Bible doesn't give you every detail on. That's just plain silly. We like to say here that when the Bible is silent, we should be also. And what's amazing is everyone who wants to argue about it, they choose to define predestination based a certain way that they've just chosen because it suits their position. I'm here to tell you, I know that we're predestined. I have no clue how God does it. Okay? So don't, if you're an arguer about it, I know you're going to argue with me after, and that's fine. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, the argument will, has gone on for as long as people have studied the Bible, and it will continue because the Bible doesn't explain to us how God does it. It just says that God did it. And when we're in heaven, if we even care about it, and I don't think we will, but if we even care about it, we're going to say, wow, that was really awesome, Lord. Sorry that I got mad at everybody about it. So don't be that person. No need. And, and unless you need to. And I'll still hug you and I'll say, yeah, I'll just agree with you probably. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> notice that God's election has an outcome. I want you to notice that. 
Because most often people argue about election. They don't realize. Look what it says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And then some of your translations have in love right there. Some of you have it with the next verse. God's choosing, his election is to make us holy and without blame. Set apart. Above reproach. So God doesn't choose us so that we can argue about being chosen. God chooses us that we might be like him, separated, living differently. Now, some of your translations have in love there. Some of your translations put in love in verse 5. Why is that? Because it's a long run-on sentence. And when God inspired the text, there was no numbers in there. That was for us so we could find these things. So wherever it goes, either God predestined us, elected us, so that we might be holy and without blame and loving. Or, if you link it to verse 5, it's that God in his love, verse 5, says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That's where that idea of adoption comes from. In love, God predestined us to adopt us as sons by Jesus Christ. Now, it's one thing to have children. Right? When you have your kids, no matter what they are, you just love them, right? We have two, Obadiah and Maranatha, we love those kids. We have one on the way. Our little sweetie, she's five months in the oven. She's got about four more months to continue to be golden brown before she comes out. <laughs> and when that little girl is born, we're going to love her no matter who she is. Parents should love their children. But it's quite another thing when parents choose to adopt a child. You make a decision to say, I am going to love this child who did not come from my own body. And what's fascinating about God's adoption is that we didn't belong to him. He said, I want you. And in Roman culture, much like our culture today, when you were adopted, you were afforded all the same rights as a Heir from your own body. Complete familial rights. And the Bible teaches that God chose you and I. All who would believe. God said, I want that guy, that girl, with all their freakiness and issues. I want them to be mine. Now, it's one thing. It's one thing for, it's just your kid, and you're like, yeah, I just love them. I remember when I was going through my more rebellious, formative years, and you're like, well, yeah, you kind of look like that now. I remember my dad, he would just kind of shake his head and roll his eyes and be like, yeah, that's just, that's just the way Daniel is right now, right? It's a whole other thing to see me that way and say, I want that guy to be my kid. But that's exactly what God has done for you and for me. He's looked down at our lives and said, I want that one. And if, that, if you're the kind of person who thinks, who could love me? God does. And God loves you just the way that you are saying, look, you don't need to get yourself fixed up and come to me. Just come to me, and I'll fix you up. I'll change you. I'll help you to take on the identity of what it means to be my child. That's what adoption is all about. That's what it's all about. Jesus is real. When things are disjointed, there's a lack of harmony and well-being. When they're joined together, there's both. Thus, the definition of peace as revealed to us in today's message with Pastor Daniel. Even though you may not fully understand it, there's many ways to describe the feeling you have when you found the calm amidst the storm. 
But one thing is certain, God's the only one who can provide it. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will help us to wrap our minds around God's ultimate plan. He'll touch on predestination, the Trinity, adoption, almost every subject that's been shrouded in mystery and debate since before the beginning of time, pun intended. It's going to get messy and stay messy, but then again, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Don't miss out. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Life's Messy Next Time. Until then, may God bless.